was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. These are some of my favorite lines from Clement Moore's famous poem. Maybe it's the short days and long nights of the season or the frenzy of activity and expectations this time of year brings or the growing length of my to-do list. Is it really only a week before Christmas? Probably some combination of all three of these, but by this time every year, all I want for Christmas is a long winter's nap. I just want to disappear someplace warm and dark and quiet to surrender myself to sleep and to my hopes and dreams for rest and renewal and, yeah, peace on earth. This year for Advent, we've been discovering how God is present with us, not just in the light, but in the darkness. When I think of darkness, the first thing I think of or feel like doing lately is sleep. In our 24-7, always-on-the-go world, we often shortchange the importance of sleep. It seems so unproductive, almost like a waste of our time when there's so much else that needs to be done. Too often we think of sleep like we're turning off our computer for the night. When we power down the computer, there's nothing happening in there, right? So we think it's the same for our minds and bodies when we go to sleep. Nothing much is happening in there, right? Wrong. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. People often think that sleep is just downtime when a tired brain gets to rest, says Dr. Macon Nettergaard, who studies sleep at the University of Rochester. But that's wrong, she says. When you sleep, your brain is working. For example, sleep helps prepare your brain to learn, to remember, and to create. Nettergaard and her colleagues also discovered that the brain has its own drainage system that removes toxins while we sleep. When we sleep, the brain totally changes its function, she explains. It becomes almost like a kidney, removing waste from the system. Everything from blood vessels to the immune system uses sleep as a time for repair, says Dr. Kenneth Wright, a sleep researcher at the University of Colorado. Getting enough good quality sleep strengthens your heart, regulates blood sugar, reduces stress, decreases inflammation and repairs tissues, helps maintain healthy weight, improves balance and memory, and boosts executive functioning. Sleep is one of our essential human needs, just like eating, drinking, and even breathing. Essential not just for our physical well-being, but also for our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Like just about every other life form on this planet, we need sleep and times of rest if we are to function well and live the lives that God created us to live. And then on top of all that, as if the brain didn't have enough to do, sleep is also when we dream. When we tuck our loved ones in bed for the night, we often usher them into sleep with the blessing, sweet dreams. Like sleep, dreams are another one of those things we barely pay attention to most days. In fact, many of us don't remember our dreams at all. 
But did you know that some researchers estimate that the average human being spends five to six years of their life in a dream state? That's a lot of time to not remember what happened. <laughs> Unlike sleep, however, scientists have yet to fully understand why we and so many other creatures dream. But some suggest that like sleep, dreaming serves a number of important purposes for us. According to Psychology Today, researchers believe that dreaming aids learning and mediates memory consolidation and mood regulation. It's a process a little bit like overnight therapy. Dreaming allows our brain to process difficult thoughts and emotions and experiences in order to boost our psychological well-being when we're awake. Dreams also allow our brains to simulate new situations and sometimes threats to better prepare ourselves for future scenarios. Freed from the inhibitions of our rational mind, dreaming opens us up to creativity and imagination, allowing us to play with possibilities and envision futures that might seem outrageous or laughable in the light of day. Although something similar happens when we daydream, there's nothing quite like sleep at night to really open up the mind and let us dream outside the box. So is it any wonder that God might choose to communicate with us while we are asleep, especially through our dreams? The Bible is full of folks who have had divine dreams. Take Joseph, for example, in our lesson today. Joseph was a humble carpenter in the village of Nazareth. A skilled worker, Joseph probably made a good living and was looking forward to settling down and starting his married life with his fiancée, Mary. Our passage today also tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. This doesn't mean that Joseph was perfect or a saint or better than everyone else. For a first century Jew, this simply meant that Joseph was a man of faith who earnestly tried to follow God's commandments and to live in right relationship with God and with the other people in his community. But then Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and he knew that he wasn't the father. With his hopes and dreams dashed by scandal, Joseph was faced with a dilemma. In all likelihood, this marriage had been arranged years ago, the marriage contract already signed, and the dowry paid. All that was left was the wedding ceremony. Although we are told that we are told that the pregnancy is the result of the Holy Spirit, Joseph probably didn't believe whatever story Mary told him about how it happened. Otherwise, he wouldn't have looked for a way out. Now, Joseph had at least two options. Although the law called for an unfaithful fiancé or wife to be stoned, that rarely happened, if ever, especially under Roman rule. But Joseph could have gone to the priests or the elders, tell them what had happened, and request to break off the marriage covenant. Publicly scorned and humiliated, Mary's family would have to return all the money that Joseph and his family had paid. Mary would be branded a sinner in the community and would have to raise the child on her own. Or Joseph could dismiss her quietly. As Adam Hamilton explains in his book about Joseph, this likely meant that he would say he had changed his mind about the marriage, something men were allowed to do back then. As it became evident that Mary was pregnant, people would assume that Joseph was the father 
and that he had had a change of heart, maybe after being intimate with her. He, not Mary, would be seen as the dishonorable party in the relationship. He would accept the stigma and shame rather than allow Mary to be forever disgraced. Mary and her family could keep the dowry as child support and alimony, and her dignity would remain intact. Joseph was leaning toward the second option, which tells us that he probably cared a lot about Mary and what happened to her. Although he undoubtedly felt hurt, betrayed, and and humiliated, he chose to show mercy and offer forgiveness and grace to Mary and her child. True to form, even though he had been wrong, Joseph wanted to do the right thing. So he decided to sleep on it. And in the dark of night, he had a dream. In his dream, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and spoke directly to him, Joseph, son of David, reminding Joseph of both his familial and spiritual tribe as a child of God's covenant. Then not only did the angel confirm Mary's story about the Holy Spirit, but the angel revealed God's hopes and dreams for the child to be born. He will save the people from their sins. Joseph knew what this meant. This was Messiah talk. This was about God fulfilling his promise to Israel to rescue and redeem them and to bring the kingdom of God down to earth. Joseph's dream helped him look beyond the limited options he saw in the light of day and dare to see a different possibility, a different future that was far greater than anything he could have imagined. In his dream, Joseph dared to re-envision the life he had dreamt of with Mary. And because he trusted God, he went ahead and married her. God continued to visit Joseph in his dreams, warning him of King Herod's evil plans, guiding the little family to safety in Egypt and then back to Nazareth when the time was right. And for his part, Joseph kept paying attention to his dreams and following God's leading into a future that included not just his family's well-being, but the salvation of the whole world. I would imagine that Joseph's dream reminded him and many others who encountered the Christ child, of Isaiah's vision in our first lesson. Isaiah was a prophet who lived 800 years before Joseph. And contrary to what many of us think today, the prophets in the Bible were not fortune tellers or predictors of the future. They were called by God to bring God's people back in line when they went astray, which often meant confronting powerful people like the high priest or the king, and speaking truth to power. One of the ways the prophets did this was to point out the differences between the world as it was currently and the world as God intended it to be. Throughout the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet called God's people to account for all the ways that they had been unfaithful to God's vision, ignoring God's laws, following other gods, mistreating the poor and the stranger, and God's good creation, all of which had landed them in a painful exile in Babylon, far from home, feeling abandoned and afraid. But Isaiah also gave the people of Israel hope, hope for the future, 
putting new possibilities before them and showing them God's vision of a world in which we all live together in right relationship with God, one another, and all of creation. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse and a branch grow out of his roots. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This was God's dream for the children of Israel, and it is still God's dream for us today. When we are faced with our own struggles and the overwhelming problems of the world around us, problems like poverty and oppression, rampant greed and power grabs, violence and war and climate change. In his book, The Rebirthing of God, Christianity's Struggle for New Beginnings, John Philip Newell writes about the eco-theologian Thomas Berry, who says the universe is so amazing in its interrelatedness, that it must have been dreamt into being. He also says our situation today as an earth community is so desperate. We are so far from knowing how to save ourselves from the ecological degradations we are part of that we must dream our way forward. We must summon from the unconscious ways of seeing that we know nothing of yet. Visions that emerge from deeper within us than our conscious, rational minds might allow. Newell continues, by listening to our dreams of the night, or the daydreams and intuitions of our wakeful hours, we can access ways of seeing that will truly serve the work of bringing back into communion again what has been torn apart in our lives and our world. Even if we can't remember our own dreams, we can pay attention to God's dreams and work together to make it a reality here on earth. So what are you dreaming about in the dark of night and even, or even the light of day? While some of our wild dreams might stem from our own anxieties or spicy foods, some of them might just be a glimpse into a bigger reality beyond our own narrowly focused lives. Joseph dreamed his way into a new future and being the father of the Son of God. Isaiah helps us dream our way into the world as God intends it to be. During this Advent season of darkness, how might we dream our way into the future God has in store for us and for this world God loves. Maybe it's no surprise that some of the season's most beloved Christmas songs are about dreaming, like I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, or I'll Be Home for Christmas, If Only in My Dreams. That's because Christmas speaks to our deepest longings for home and family, love and acceptance, hope and peace on earth. This week I came across a less well-known song written by Stevie Wonder back in 1967 called Someday at Christmas. The words go like this. Someday at Christmas, men won't be boys playing with bombs like kids play with toys. 
One warm December, our hearts will see a world where all people are free. Someday at Christmas, there'll be no wars. When we have learned what Christmas is for, when we have found what life's really worth, that's when there will be peace on earth. Someday at Christmas, we'll see a land with no hungry children, no empty hands. One happy morning, people will share a world in which all of us care. Someday at Christmas, we will not fail. Hate will be gone and love will prevail. Someday, a new world that we can start will be born with hope in every heart. And the refrain goes like this. Someday, all our dreams will come to be. Someday, in a world where people are free. Maybe not in time for you and me, but someday at Christmas time. Someday at Christmas time. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like God's dream, too. Maybe it's time we start listening to our dreams and following God's dream into a future filled with hope and peace, love and God's abundant life, not just for ourselves, but for all life on earth. Maybe we all need to get some more sleep and open our hearts and minds to the new possibilities and creative futures that we can't imagine in the light of day. In this Advent darkness, sleep tight and sweet dreams. Amen.